Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Humans of Higher Ed podcast. Can you believe it? We are doing it weekly, and it's actually coming out on time. For all of you that bet on us to fail after three weeks, I'm including myself in that bet. We're still here. Still here, and we're still doing it, and we still have everyone with us. So we've got Jason, we've got Joel, and we've got Billy. And this is a special episode. We, we have been taking questions from you all week. There's an asterisk next to all week because primarily those questions came in the last six hours, but they still count. <laughs> uh, and we're excited to get into your questions. Uh, but first and foremost, we need to go a little around the horn and see how everyone's doing. Jason, kick us off. What's going on? What is going on? On a scale of one to COVID-10, I'm a, a solid eight, I think, this week. Uh, we are wrapping up another semester in uh, higher education paradise. And I have a fully stocked refrigerator full of beer. So uh, we're doing well. Let's, there you go. let's do this. Is COVID-10 a new strain? Uh, it's our newest strain. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's what comes after COVID-9, but way before COVID-19. <laughs> All right, Joel, what's good? It's a good? made up. Um, I'm about uh, five today, which is the amount of hours I spent on a Zoom call consecutively today. Um, the same call? Yeah, the same call. That's not okay. Important reason, but it was just very long, and I needed a bio break, and group dynamics t- teaches you that you should set those parameters ahead of time, <laughs> and we did not follow those parameters. Oof. Well, I should say, though, Joel, five is probably the highest you've come in, so all things considered, I feel like you're still, this is still, this is still good. <laughs> This is a good day for everyone. <laughs> All right, Billy, what's up? Uh, I got a headache. That's, that's about where I am on the 1 to 10 scale. I'm, I'm a headache right now. All right. That's all I got. So. No, that's a good, no, it's a good share. That's a good share. I'm probably I'm feeling at a 7. I took a nap today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, it was a good nap. It was pretty good. So I feel pretty good. Um, but yeah, that's that's good. That was good around the horn. Uh, anybody watching anything weird? We have any weird content updates? Any, how was the uh, Amazon Prime show, uh, Tales from the Loop? I don't know yes. if you've seen that. If you've like been scrolling through Amazon Prime, it is it is like almost an, an absurdist Stranger Things. It's like what Stranger Things would be if they just jacked all the like the weird alternate history, alternate future kind of stuff up to 11. Wow. That's not even a Stranger Things pun or anything. I, I got to that without even thinking about it, jacking it up to 11. Uh, you could have really uh, brought it home with COVID-11. That would have... No. Things would have just <laughs> lit on fire. We're going to get all the way up there. Uh, Billy, we've been watching it over at the house. Uh, our take is it's a optimistic black mirror. Yeah, no, I could see that. I can definitely it's, go with that. Yeah, it's nice, right? Like some of some of the episodes are real ah. stressful, but some of them <laughs> are just downright pleasant at the end. You gotta get there. But yeah, I'm only I think I'm only four or five episodes in, and none of them have been what I would refer to as nice. Like I don't want to talk about all the bleakness because I want people to get there on their own. But like every episode has had like a heart pang moment. I'll leave it at that. Hard pangs. Hard, hard pangs. So much pain. What was the name of that again? What was the name of that show? 
Tales from the Loop. Tales from the Loop. All right. Tales from the Loop. All right. Uh, one thing I want to circle back on as uh, as content is concerned, it was around Saturday at 7 p.m. and I was checking my inbox waiting to get a little Zoom invitation to the club and uh, <laughs> and uh, no no dice, no messages came through, so I just danced alone. I, I don't think the, the gay bar happened uh, yeah. over the weekend. Wow. Uh, we were looking for it, and it didn't come through. Uh, so instead, over at our house, we uh, totally binged uh, on FX, What We Do in the Shadows, all of season one, and we're now caught up on season two, and it is incredible. Great. It, highly uh, recommend everyone should watch that. It's, it's wild. There is a moment in the first season with a, a large uh, group of, of people, and it's just one of the most brilliant, surreal things I've seen on TV ever. It's A-plus viewing. Yeah, it's a very funny show. Highly recommend. Nice. What about you, Joel? What are you watching? Um, Eugene and I have never really been big Marvel fans, um, and so we have, like, we've watched like Thor, Thor Ragnarok, um, like one or two of the Avengers movies but so i found a, a guide on reddit from the subreddit cool guides which is a cool little subreddit um that put all the marvel movies in chronological order so we are up to iron man in the chronological order so it's first event uh, captain america first avenger captain marvel iron man and so those are the first three, three we went through it's Talk to Jason about it, and it's an interesting way to go about it. It'll be fun to... I mean, what else are we going to do? Right. right. Nothing. Right. So. You get time. Yeah. That's really, that's really intriguing to think about, like, watching it that way for the first time. Yeah. Are you, like, stopping when the movie ends so that you don't watch, like, the, the after credit scenes and things like that? Because those would be really, like, jarring if you don't have the, the backstories and the continuity to keep up with. We know enough... Yeah. About like the Marvel universe that like we, that we also, like we saw Black Panther you know we like we saw like enough of them along the way and we know the context and everything so it's like it's not too bad but like you can definitely tell where it doesn't sync up with how they were actually released sure so uh, sort of related my watch this weekend was Extraction on Netflix starring Chris Hemsworth oh uh, yeah uh, and the plot could be boiled down to uh, two drug lords who don't like each other, and that is the extent of the plot. Uh, but there is a fantastic three-minute scene where Chris Hemsworth straight up beats the shit out of a bunch of teenagers, and <laughs> and teenagers is like generous. They could be eleven and twelve, like it's supposed to be this like kid gang. And I was like, oh, there'll be some nice moment here, and there's no nice moment. He straight up wipes these kids out like one at a time aggressively and i couldn't believe how cathartic it was to watch that it was it was a rewarding experience to see it i don't know if i'd recommend them but like if you just need an action movie that you can check out of for like a couple hours sure but the death count was james bond level like there must have been 3000 deaths in this <laughs> 2 hour movie it was in it was they were superheroes with with machine guns it was incredible but i think that that's my that's my like newest watch outside of money heist which i am rifling through on Netflix, which has been one of those, like, recommended shows for the last year or so, 
Uh, and it took me, I don't know, maybe an episode and a half to realize that it is a Spanish show that has been dubbed over with English. <laughs> and I just thought my, like, internet connection was a little off and that the, <laughs> like, the words weren't lining up. Uh, but no, I'm an idiot. And it's not really good, but I'm, I'm still watching it because it's, you know, Phil's time. Can I, can I move us back to the drug lord moment there back then? Yeah. You mentioned it's like drug lord versus drug lord. Are there any movies where drug lords just get along? I don't know that I've ever seen a movie where drug lords just are like, hey, you know what? I have a lot of money. You have a lot of money. That's enough. We can both have a lot of money. Neither of us needs to have all the money. Yeah, I feel like drug lords have teamed up for short periods of time before they before it ultimately crumbles. Yeah. But there's been moments where people have that realization like, hey, maybe two drug lords is better than one. But oh. yeah, you're right. Maybe that's, something, maybe that's something the listeners can chime in on. What's a, what's a, what's a feel-good drug lord story? You know? <laughs> I think my favorite development in this podcast is Billy looking for opportunities to people to get at us on social media to talk about the podcast. That has been my favorite. It's happened once an episode where it's like, now, this will be good fodder for people to reach out. <laughs> so, not a movie, but was there any cooperation anywhere in the TV show Weeds? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. There, I, I feel like there was. I can't put my finger on it, but... Like, no, I think she marries a drug lord, right? Like, she... Yeah. I don't know. I, I've only seen it in bits and pieces. Here we go. The whole secondhand watch. The whole series of Narcos is basically different lord, drug lords coming together and working together for short periods of time before ultimately they off each other. But for moments. And that's based on based on real life. Just little moments of friendship. So, you know, having a, like a work wife or a work husband. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so in, so in some in some way El Chapo is the work husband to, you know, somebody down in Mexico. And I think that's I think that's the way to look at narcos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, we're going to be trending in the El Chapo hashtag <laughs> tomorrow. It was David Koresh last week. It's El Chapo this week. So, uh, Mike is we're a, consistent Mike. with our uh, basic uh, cult leadership. Mike has a thing for the bad boys. That's what that <laughs> is right there. I'm God just, made I'm me just, play. I'm just playing a Photoshop Billy and his Heisenberg. We'll go from there. <laughs> Oh, Once man. again, drug lords that just can't get along. Yep. <laughs> turf battles that, that ruin everything. Yeah, Vince Gilligan's going to retire on that plot line. All right. <clears throat> now that we'll edit all that out to make that sound more seamless. Um, <laughs> I guess before, we should, like, just, yeah, we'll do the rundown of all of our week-to-week stuff, and then I think we can just, like, crush Q&As for a little bit. So the last thing that we really need to touch on Billy, we need an update. How is Freezer Friday? What are we looking forward to for this Freezer Friday? Uh, Freezer Friday got delayed a little bit this week. It, it turned into kind of let things thaw Friday and, and make sure it really thawed out Saturday. And then it became Crock-Pot Sunday. Ooh. So we, we took, some, took some chicken breasts out. Uh, Tracy, my partner, put together a, a tremendous chicken salsa slow cooker ordeal that just was like fork split tinder by the uh, by like hour five and uh, we've just been using that as ingredients for a variety of nachos and 
uh, like sloppy joes type thing today. So it's it's been a good it's been a good use of the freezer. Sloppy crockpot Sunday. Crockpot Sunday. Goes <laughs> so well with Freezer Friday. We need something on Saturday. All right, let's get into this Q and A. We got some really great questions on Instagram and on Twitter. I don't know if we got a single damn response on Facebook, but honestly, that's how I feel about Facebook too. So Twitter and Instagram is where it's at. Uh, so let's talk. Let's talk about some of the questions we got in, and most some of them are statements. And they just want us to talk about, which are cool, too. We had, uh, like, a few grad school-related things that we can talk about. Uh, but the first the first topic I'm seeing here is territory battles, which I'm assuming – well, that's self-explanatory. We do not need to deep dig into what territory battles mean. Uh, or I told you so moments. These are good. I told you so. I can confidently say in my higher ed career, I probably don't have too many I told you so moments because I just don't know how many times I've been, like, dead right on something. <laughs> or dead wrong, for that matter. But I would imagine one of you guys, like especially Jason. I feel like Jason was right a bunch. Uh, I've been screaming I told you so on things uh, nonstop now for like two decades. So uh, this just uh, syncs up with the fact that I'm a Leo, and my top five strengths are strategic, futuristic, self-assurance, activator, in command. So uh, I make a plan, I know I'm right, and then I get you to do it for me, basically. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm always right. Uh, I think what, what the, the jux of this question, the crux, the jux, the jux. The jux, the, the crux. crux. <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> Words are so hard today. Uh, the crux of this question, I think, is... When is the right time for that? And is COVID mania the right time for uh, turf battles and territory? And I told you some moments, uh, which is pretty wild because I think when this is all said and done, people are going to lose their their territories that they've held so tightly on. And it's going to be like more distributed across campuses. It's going to be a thing of the past, hopefully. Yeah, that's some serious glass half full uh, thinking, and I like it. I would love the idea of we are at such a point right now that we have no choice but to drop those walls and kind of like come together. But you would also, not that higher education is the same as the government, but one would think that the government in a similar situation would do the same thing, and that has proven not to be true. So, But I hope I hope that's the case. That would be great if if territory battles are no longer a thing. But they're always going to be a thing. I mean, you're always going to see the fight between facilities and housing operations, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think for institutions to thrive, uh, we've got to see these kind of walls and silos get torn down just a little bit. Just so us short people can see over it, you know? You are so short, Mike. You're so wee. That's true. That's true. That's good. Anybody else? Any other good I told you so moments? Just that I've been on the receiving end of... A lot of Jason Meyer, I told you so moments, and it's just, it's really empowering. It's empowering? Um, Joel and I only worked together for two years? Two and a half-ish. So you were probably only privy to about 500 yeah. um, in those two and a half-ish. Which like, was, just, was just stellar for my self-esteem. I just hope the audio can capture the real 
three that you brought to the table with <laughs> your statement on Jason empowering you. Like, I, I hope that the audio is enough to capture that because the visual where I don't think a muscle moved, <laughs> like there was no adjustment in your physical appearance while you said that. You can see the fire die in my eyes. Yeah, you could you could see um, Joel leaving higher education. <laughs> um, the other funny part of that question is, it wasn't really a territory battle. It was like literally trying to make the world a better place by ceding territory that I controlled at my former institution to territories that Jason controlled, just to try and make things better, because like it wasn't working. So I love that. I have worked with Jason on both of those fronts, which is just fun. (laughs) (laughs) We were a great team, though. We were. It was good. (laughs) Billy, do you see more or less territory battles now? I think it. I think it in many ways goes back to the to the drug war competition, where if if we can, as a field, agree that for the next six months, eighteen months, however long, to just say we can all serve students well, we may not get the credit for it, we may not get the budget for it, we may not get the acclaim for it, but the students can make it through whatever the hell the next year to two years, however long looks like, we won't see territory battles on campus. But if everybody approaches it with the same kind of, I need my glory, I need my organization to look like the winner here, I need my people to be taken care of, we're going to see more... I need my Froyo truck to be the most successful one. We're not going to talk about Froyo. We're going to let that be a last week in the past. We're going to move forward. I'm going to bring it up as much as I can. I love Froyo. <laughs> you're going you're to backslide down the water slide <laughs> of pettiness. See, now we're talking. I told you so. <laughs> to uh, Billy's optimistic point, I think if we recenter back to what are the values of our institution in how we're educating students, right? Like that's the, the recipe for winning the I told you so battle, uh, which is not a, a bad battle to lose and recentering on serving the students and serving the community. Uh, and if, if we do that, then how many of those petty moments do we get to own? A lot. That was fun. I I didn't think that's how that statement was going to end. I like that. <laughs> I thought I thought you were almost like washing your hands of the pettiness, and you were like, "No, I'm I'm the king of the petty corner." <laughs> uh, there's always room for it. I'm not sure that I told you some moments is the petty corner. Sometimes it's just the natural evolution of a teachable moment. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes you just have a student maybe who refuses to be. I don't say reined in, but refuses to be advised and guided and refuses every attempt at, at, at student development. And sometimes they're just going to wing something out there that's not going to work, it's going to fail, and you have to move beyond the teachable moment and almost get to a developmental I told you so moment. Yeah. Is that just me? Is that, is that just me? No, no, no. I think that's, that's a good one. I, I honestly was thinking more uh, staff-related than I was student when this conversation started. But, I can, I mean, I'm sure – there are a million times of an RA being like, you know what, I think I'm actually going to sign up for that fifth class. <laughs> and then you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. Hey, you got a lot going on right now. Maybe like see how this semester goes. And if you can handle the job well, you pick up the fifth. 
And then in November, they're like, I need to drop chemistry, and I haven't slept in six days. And, and like, so those I told you so moments. Right. Yeah. They're everywhere. And you would never actually say, well, I told you so. I mean, you would never take that moment. But in your heart, I told you so. Yeah. I'm sure the smile would start forming from the corner of my mouth and like Grinch yeah. style, but I wouldn't say it. Yeah, that, put that in your Nevitt Sanford challenge and support model right there. That's <laughs> challenge support. I told you so. That's the third. It's the third category. Oh man! All right, I'm excited for this next question. The next one is the over under on COVID sessions at ACPA and NASPA. Um, I'm gonna say under because neither will happen. <laughs> no, I, I, I just wanted to say that. I don't know if that's true. Well, virtual ACPA and NASPA will have all of them. All of the <laughs> sessions will be COVID-related. Can we come up with, like, the worst, um, like, name for one? Like, pun-based name or uh, mashing together? To like fit COVID or quarantine or Corona in the title. Hmm. Also, if you can't come on up with one, I'm just gonna leave that silence in there and then just go to the next yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. Put a so, sound effect. Or something. I swear we're funny guys. Jeopardy theme. <laughs> My brain, for whatever reason, suddenly like jumped onto uh, all of the bad fraternity and sorority theme parties that are going to happen. Yeah, like all the uh, quarantined theme parties, like where your your best face mask and scrubs and PPE. Yeah, uh, and so my brain just went there, which is not NASPA and ACPA. Uh, the only one I could come up with was like quarantine building. No, thank you. Yeah. Jason just kind of triggered one. It's like from PP to PPE. <laughs> Housing struggles in the era of COVID-19 or something like that. Oh, man. I just, I went to where Jason went of like first year experience, you know, orientation event of come, you know, craft night, come decorate your face mask to go to class. <laughs> I need to give Kelsey credit for this one, but just the okay Zoomers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to miss out on those conferences. Um, these uh, these uh, are, are going to be nothing in compared to the uh, regional, like, college campus-based leadership conferences yeah. that happen in the fall. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah that's, that's where the puns are going to be strong, and they're going to yeah. be bad. National level, that'll get chucked right out in the selection process, but on the regional, local level, that's... You got to look to the conferences that aren't super well attended because those ones won't have as many proposals. So there'll they'll be less of like the nixing. <laughs> yeah. So all of those will get in. That's where you get to see like the real gems. The real question is how many, you know, in a given interview, how many interview questions are going to be related to you know, what you did during the coronavirus, or conversely, how many answers now that have nothing to do with corona, the question has nothing to do with coronavirus, but COVID-19 is just going to get wedged in to every single answer 
whatsoever in interviews for the next three to five years. Well, that's good. Let's have this roll into the next one, too, because the next question was, like, what does job searching look like during the, the COVID experience? Because uh, I think you're right, Billy. I think it's everything, right? Like, I, I would imagine, you know how those interviews are broken up into, like, uh, categories with, like, five questions underneath each yeah. category or whatever? I, there's at least one in each category, right? There's at least one COVID-related question in each category. Yeah. So well, I think here's... Here's my question. So how many how many jobs are being posted right now for an anticipated opening after like budget crisis? And is uh, actual employability going to be the new salary range? Right? Like how many people are gonna apply and then find out like, oh just kidding, we've got a hiring freeze. Uh, we just wanted it out there so it's on your radar. Yeah, I I mean I think you're right. And because we saw a lot in the comments two of um like some of these job search questions came from like oh i just got i just found out i'm getting furloughed or i found out my position's ending next month so i think we're hearing way more of that than we are uh my institution's posting a bunch of jobs so i uh have kept my uh higher ed jobs searches open for as long as i've ever had a job and uh it is a try well there's there's nothing right now it's so empty yeah, I don't think anybody knows what their budget's going to look like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I also read uh, Forbes this afternoon just uh, published an article about uh, people who are making more money on unemployment and the additional government unemployment assistance than they were their actual jobs. Yeah. And so I'm curious about the larger socioeconomic ramifications. And are people just going to be like, F it, I'm not going back to this job. I know what we pay our grad assistants, and it's nothing. You uh, know, it's something. It's you know what's, not what's terrible about this is this means my dad's going to be right. <laughs> Remember that argument? I'm just saying my dad as, you know, blanket statement. But everyone was like, Oh, they're they're just feeding off the government. They're making more money by being on unemployment than actually finding a job. And now it's like, oh crap. Yeah, <laughs> also, if this is now officially right. Yeah, and if the state of I mean, New York the is key, the key framing for this isn't that you can make more money off of the government; it's that employers are just paying way too little. I mean, that's the key driver for for that reality. And the other, the secondary driver is that that will dry up at some point, you know, that, that goes away at some point. Yeah. Your grad assistants may not make much, but two years down the line, when they're going into their full-time interviews, they're going to want to have something to talk about in those five to 10 COVID-19 questions. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're getting more experience than, than just the uh, meager salary. Also, the state of New York is listening. Like, feel free to feel free to take a peek at my unemployment application. You guys are out there. <laughs> Cuomo, <laughs> let's get Mike some money. Oh man, this is a fun one. Uh, and I don't know, maybe uh, any of the working people can talk about how common this is. But how many different ways can you start an email without saying? While we're all on lockdown because of a pandemic. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so over emails that start with, you know, I hope everything's okay with you and your family. Or, oh you know, gosh. I hope this email, like, I hope this email finds you well was already just off-putting enough to start. But now that it's like, 
if I don't put that in my email, am I am I a jackass? If I don't reciprocate that, I hope your family's well too. Does that mean I hope your family is, you know, on a respirator somewhere? No, it just means I have a I have a four sentence email I need to do. I'm not adding 25 percent to my email to to add this social nicety. Man, I'm coming off like a jackass. No. That's the headache talking. You're talking. You're not wrong. I've shifted from like I hope you're well because like like Billy, you're right. It's just at one point the luck is going to run out and someone's going to be like, no, it's not. Things are not well, and I don't want to get to that point. So I just start the email off regular, and I make like some allusion to like drinking at noon in the email too, and like no one cares in professional emails anymore. Like we are all just. There's another question on here. I don't think we'll get to it, but is this all a simulation? Like, is this real? And at this point, it doesn't. No. I guess my question is, if you don't say, if you don't start an email by saying, well, we're all on lockdown because of pandemic XXX, uh, is someone going to assume you're not quarantining or that you're in the office or that um, things are fine or that you're just the jackass that Billy is? So I've been, I think you're right. I think there will be an assumption. I think you have to make some sort of nod to kind of like what Joel said, like I'm drinking. I've been starting a lot of my emails in all caps with what day is it? And then we'll go on to the email and not address that. It'll just say like all caps, what day is it? What day is it? Hey, thanks for your email. I just want to let you know. And like, just pretend like it didn't happen. Like it's a nod without talking about it too much longer. But I can't imagine how many people are starting their emails with, like, with what the reader sent us. While we're all in lockdown because of a pandemic, I know things are, like, I, it must be your entire inbox. All of them. <laughs> that gets my anxiety up. I would never start an email that way. Like, that's why I go with a more soothing, but I'm drunk. now it's like, no, yes, yes. <laughs> It's like it's like a like a auto response from your email. The person you've emailed is day drinking. It may take a moment to get back to you. <laughs> when he does, it's kind of he it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll throw this out there just to some context. I several years into my career had a had a employee that I supervised who came into my office one day, maybe for one on one, maybe just to make this point. But he had a real problem with the way that I didn't really address my emails. I would just like first line, no hard return, nothing. Just start with the email sub. Like, like just whatever I was emailing about, that's how I started. No good afternoon, no hello, no person's name, nothing. I would just, it was like an instant message more than an email. Mm-hmm. And so he came in and, you know, had a very, he managed up. And, and that, that really changed how I approached email. But not enough to the point that I'm ever going to type, I hope in this galactic calamity, you and your family, who may not even exist, are all surviving. Like, I'm never going to start an email that way. But so not who I am. I think my favorite way to say goodbye to students is to quote the movie Elf. And I love the line that uh, Mr. Narwhals says at the beginning, uh, hey, buddy, hope you find your dad. And I know one of these days I'm going to say it to a student. I'm like, 
my dad died yesterday, uh, and it's totally not going to work. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. I can't believe that hasn't happened yet. Or just like, right. like, hey, Same. my my dad beat the crap out of me for 15 years. Like, thanks. I don't want to find him, and if he finds me, he went against the restraining order. Like, that, I can't, I can't believe none of that's happened yet. And Jason, we we won't say I told you so when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful callback, <laughs> Oh, that's good. That was a good one. All right. Well, I'm just jumping around here too. So if you guys see one that you want to talk about, just fire them in there. But um, one. All right. So we we can address some of the grad school stuff. I know we got two different grad school related questions. One being um, things that grad school didn't prepare you for was one, and then the other person just wanted some grad school stories. Which I imagine are like horror stories. I can't imagine they're like, hey, tell me the thing you loved about grad school. Or maybe that is what they were looking for, but they asked the wrong people. It's not really our brand. Yeah. Not really our brand. <laughs> they asked the wrong people. I but, think my, uh, my biggest grad school horror story was the class called The Students in Higher Ed. And I guess today it would be kind of the diversity, inclusion, kind of social justice-minded class, except we didn't have those words back then. And I uh, was at a Southern college with an elderly professor who had no business teaching that class. And so when we were talking about, like, the experience of students of color, he would ask a student of our cohort to sit in the middle of of the class on a chair and we'd all circle up around them and then we could ask them anything. No, uh, and so no. we did that with students of color. We did that with our one international student. Uh, we did that with LGBTQ student who was not me. Thank God. Um, it was the most like embarrassing and mortifying thing you could imagine. Oh my God. But if I, if, if I hadn't gone to a, a great grad program, I probably would have wound up that professor 40 years from now. That probably would have been me seeing my future self and be like, man, this is a really good exercise. I got to write this down and remember this. But I went to a really good grad program where I was given a lot of cultural competency and, and recognized my own shortcomings around diversity and, and understanding and awareness. And now I know that that is a terrible idea. And, and thank you for coming to our TED Talk on privilege. <laughs> and mic drop. Good night. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Gone. His last name was Gone. Dr. Gone? Yeah. Dr. You Gone. Uh, he he retired after us. We broke him. Yeah. I, he broke himself, it sounds like. He was broken before we got <laughs> yeah. there. I think my mine was a story for my assistantship. I was in residence life, and we left for winter, or, like, before you leave for winter break, you Oh, do, I know where this is yeah, going. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I probably have told you this story. You do. Oh, uh, yeah. We did a walkthrough of the building to make sure everybody's gone. And then while we're gone, facilities goes in, and they because all the students had their own bathroom. It was like suite style or apartment style living, and they went in and cleaned all the bathrooms. When I came back, uh, the shower had been running for three weeks in a room, and it was completely (laughs) filled with mold to the point that it affected two different apartments. (laughs) And, and like, 
there were lawsuits being thrown around, and they were looking like the our department was really looking at me as a grad student, being like, "Hey, you know, this is trial by fire. You're gonna learn how to handle these things." And I'm like, "I don't think so. I think this might be above my two hundred dollars stipend." <laughs> Oh man, that was that was crazy. That room was so gross. It smelled like a rainforest. I remember I was like the first one back in the building, and I was like, "Why is it steamy in here?" Because <laughs> it was in my building, and I remember I walked up to like the third floor, and I'm like, "Oh no!" And you could just like the door was shut, but it looked bad. Like the door looked bloated almost, and you could hear. <sighs> Just <laughs> of the shower running. Oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. Like when you open it, was it like the Wizard of Oz? Like the opposite of the Wizard of Oz, where like you open it and there's no color. It's just all that mildew gray everywhere. Yeah. I remember oh. seeing the kid's laptop, and it was just, <laughs> it was just a different color. <laughs> I mean, they they had like thousands of dollars worth of damage in there. They had so much stuff that was bad. And I remember just hazmat suits coming in and out of the building. They had to shut the whole wing down. They had to move like 40 kids. It was wild. Students, 40 students, my apologies. All because someone left the shower running while they were cleaning the... Yeah, and I left this part out. I mean, I definitely had blame for this, right? Because I was the one who was supposed to do the walkthrough of the building. So it was that I didn't do the walkthrough, and that's why the shower was left on. And I was like, wait a minute. We have a group of people going through the building, specifically turning the shower on during during this time. So there's no – because if I had left – if it was left on when I saw it, someone would have shut it off or at least have seen it two weeks ago. But although maybe maybe it was my fault, and this is me admitting right now to the world. <laughs> to the has world. the guilt been just gnawing at you all yeah. these years? Oh, Statue so much... of limitations, baby. It's <laughs> 2020. It was 2008 or 2009, right? Like, two, no, what are they like... going to do now? It's 10 years later. Yeah. Come at me, bulls. <laughs> <laughs> um, my horror story from my assistantship, too, um, at uh, Ohio State. We opened the new Ohio Union in 2010, which uh, just celebrated its 10th anniversary, which is cool. Um, but one of the first big events, I advised the program board as a grad student, and one of our first big events in the new ballroom, which could hold like 2,000 people lecture style, was Andy Samberg. And it was like two days after we opened the building, and the AV systems were installed, but they were not really well checked. And I mean, just AV issues after AV issues after AV issues. And he was, anytime you could hear him in the ballroom, he was basically shitting on us. And it felt so bad because I knew the AV staff was working so hard. And I had grad school cohort friends who, you know, their their assistants just played by the rules and only made them work 20 hours a week, texting me during the show, like, why can't you fix this? What are you doing? And I was just pissed. And so it took a long time. It took me like three or four seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine to think Andy Samberg was nice. Um, because, like, literally the first season, Eugene was like, I want to watch this. And I was like, no, I don't like Andy Samberg. He was mean to me. <laughs> so it took me a while to get over that. So yeah. whoever's posting this on social media tomorrow, please tag Andy. I will tag Andy. <laughs> Billy, you have any horror stories? 
no, I mean, I had a pretty good grad school experience. UConn he's a shout out. I I don't I can't think of any horror stories. I, I mean I have a you know, a great student story uh, that that always just sticks out in my mind. It could have gone really, really awkward. I had a I was in um conduct, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't remember what it's actually politely referred to as, but I was in conduct and I had a student that had been caught stealing uh, from the, you know, the student store on campus. And, you know, I won't go into all the details because of FERPA and whatnot. I don't know what the statute of limitations on that is. But he gave me this really long song and dance about why he stole some of the, the things he stole. And... You know, I had the I had the information in front of me, and I was like, you know, that's a really it's a really hard touching story. I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And then I turned the page, and I'm like, okay, now explain why you stole the condoms. And it's like that moment could have gone like in so many different directions. Where, you know, I get why you see, you know, you have this this emotional like lame as a rob. Like you have a real reason to steal some things as a as a broke college student, but like. We have desks all around this campus that will just give you condoms. They'll just hand you condoms and be happy that you're being responsible. Why did you need to steal condoms from us? Like that's 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 one of those questions that in my in my head when I was asking them, I, I seemed so like clever, like it was almost like a gotcha moment for the student. But you know, for the student, it's probably the most embarrassing thing a professional could ever ask them. Yeah. Why did you steal condoms? Could have gone bad in that moment. Could have gone real bad. I like it. I guess we should pivot to the other uh, the other grad school related question. Like, what's the thing uh, that that your program didn't prepare you for, or uh, what yeah. to do when someone has stolen condoms? That's, that's <laughs> one thing that I was not prepared for what to do when someone steals condoms. Yeah, that's one. Shutting off other showers. Uh, how to how to host a bingo on Zoom? Yeah. No, I think for me, I wish they, I wish I learned a little bit more about, um, about what comes after your student interaction dwindles. Like I think my grad program did a really good job of preparing me how to be a young professional and how to like thrive at age 24 to 27. But after that, I think as I start managing professional staff members and uh, being more involved in commit, more involved in the decision-making and like budget handling and stuff like that, I wish I was more prepared for that. Because the reason I went, I went to graduate school and the reason I got into higher ed was to work with students. And when that starts, stops, that's just such a small part of what we do. But I think that was like the main focus of my program, which makes sense. But I just wish I was a little bit more prepared for like, you know, 27 for forever. Because when you have if you have a 20 year career in higher education, you may only spend four to six, maybe eight years right there on the front lines. For the most part, your career is going to be that second level or above where you're now managing people that have also gone to master's programs who have also had a few years of work experience. That's the, that's the stuff that, you know, I can't say that grad programs don't prepare people for that, but it's more in the way that like a wise old person at the beginning of a horror movie prepares you for what happened in those woods. You know, it's like the, the more, the higher you go, the less you're going to interact with the students, but no one actually tells you what to do with that information. They just prepare you that, in four to six years, you're going to see students less, and you're going to see other administrators more. Mm-hmm. And in that analogy, we got killed early. 
<laughs> so, in, in the cabin of the woods parlance, that's the, the harbinger at yeah. the gas station. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Amazon Prime. Guy, if you've never seen Amazon Prime, if you've never seen Captain in the Woods, it's brilliant. Such a good movie. Uh, the rub on all of that is the reason why so many of us get promoted into being a manager in higher ed is because we were effective at giving out pizza to three thousand <laughs> students at one thirty a.m. in the student center. Right, like my entire first promotion was directly correlated to the fact that I could get rid of five thousand dollars worth of pizza in fifteen minutes in the middle of the student center at one thirty a.m. on a Friday night, which does not make me equipped to do anything other than give out free Domino's pizza to people. Or sometimes you're just the person there when the music stops. Maybe someone leaves unexpectedly, and they've got to have an assistant director. Yeah backfill that person and you're the coordinator guess what baby you're their assistant director now good luck managing the new coordinator we bring in to backfill you yeah and i and i I wish that from experience and that that should stop at that level that should you should not become a director of a department because of that do you know what i mean does not stop at that level for sure yeah it's unbelievable. I think that kind of I think that kind of goes into what what A is definitely one of the things I didn't get out of my graduate program and B is definitely what drove me into my second graduate program is how do we how do we manage and how do we manage projects? So how do we manage people? What are what are supervise, you know, how do you supervise professionals and then how do you manage programs? When it's no longer like Jason's talking about, three thousand people in a pizza, but now it's a twenty million dollar budget, four staff members. You know, how do you manage those projects when you're actually managing not just a project, but a whole process, a whole staff, a whole maybe a division or department? Um, I think that that's where, when you're talking about, you get promoted because you're good at what you do, not that you're going to be good at what you do next. That's that's what drove me into the world of, of human resources. Joel, you got anything? Uh, no, I mean, I would have echoed what y'all said. I, I think one of the things that I was thinking about, and Billy kind of went with it with the HR thing, um, is, you know, I wish grad school programs were more focused, had some external focuses, and allowed you to think beyond just the higher ed box sometimes, because we're so wrapped up in student development theory, which is all very important, but... It, it's with a lack of context sometimes. Um, and whether that's elements of MBA or hospitality or all this other stuff, I think, you know, looking externally, you know, I think a, a lot of professionals now talk about they wish they could do an externship outside of higher ed to learn new tips and tricks and best practices to bring back to make higher ed better. And, you know, why can't we start that in grad school? Yeah. Also, one other thing, if you're going to, if you're going to make me act like a counselor as a professional, then I should probably get a counseling degree instead. Like, just make me go get a counseling degree and then take group dynamics. Because that would have that would have landed that would have been way, way more helpful than than the helping skills class I took, which I've referenced before, where she said I shouldn't get Veterans Day off because I wasn't a veteran. <laughs> I watched a really great video in counseling class, and I, I am very prepared for that part of my job, that my former job. Uh, my, my counseling class was paired with that uh, student in higher ed class 
so the first time I had a crying student in my office, I took her by the hand, walked her down the hall, put her in someone else's office, and pointed at her because I didn't know what else to do. It's <laughs> friends. It's all good. <laughs> You're still friends? Yeah. I went to her wedding. It's great. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were just trying to save it there, but that's that's real. No, nope, huh? nope. <laughs> that was real. <laughs> um, one of the questions we had, I think we probably did two more, right? One of them was the potential of colleges closing, which again is more of a statement, unless they were like potential of colleges closing. Um, then it's in a, in a question. I don't know. Well, I mean, they're absolutely gonna close, right? Like colleges were gonna close before COVID hit. The uh, NASPA has been really good about telling the story about the population of, you know, potential college students getting getting smaller and smaller and more and more narrow. And with rising tuition and a, a lack of 18 to, to 21 year olds to go, it's it was just a matter of time. This is just expediting what was going to happen. I feel like we're seeing that outside of education, too. I think like I know. We referenced this maybe a little bit last week, but like the comedy community, you're seeing lots of theaters close now. And those theaters are going to close, but maybe a year and a half from now. It's similar to my promotion in higher education. I was going <laughs> to leave in a couple years, but the promotion was kind of like COVID. It got me out of there a lot faster. <laughs> it's a, a sad inevitability, but it is it is where we are. It will be interesting to see how fewer institutions impact where do those students go, where does that funding go, where do um, professionals and faculty members go, mm -hmm. and how all of that kind of evens out. Yeah, I'm very curious to see uh, just where students are going in general, come this September and next September. I'll be very curious to see like what numbers are looking like and if there are any major shifts, you know. I'll just be curious yeah. like, what happens to I state mean, institutions and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's been something we've been talking about on the architecture side a ton because, I mean, it's, it's so hard to compete for the limited amount of funds in higher ed. I mean, it'll, I think the one thing will be interesting is, you know, higher ed is generally a leader in sustainability and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of institutions and states have put a lot of funds towards retrofitting a lot of old campuses that were built up in the 1950s into more modern buildings and how that will pair, like will campuses continue with that? Or I mean, are we just gonna continue the deferred maintenance as funds dry up? And Or will the big institutions like the Ohio States, the a Texas A&Ms, the USFs, like will they, you know, will they just get bigger and bigger? Yeah, and just start um, swallowing Are we gonna up. have mega universities and everyone else be damned? Right, um, we, because we were we already seen that a little bit too, right? Because didn't uh, recently like BU swallowed up Wheelock, right? Didn't that yep. happen like a couple years ago? A couple years ago, yeah. And I feel like those are the types of schools that are going to get slammed by this, right? It's those small niche schools or small liberal arts schools, a little bit more expensive than they should be. That, like those ones are going to hurt the most. I think, you know, one of the things we've done in the higher ed space is a lot of like incubator spaces and entrepreneurial spaces. Like that's the space du jour um, the last few years on college campuses. Uh, Mike, I'm really interested to see what these students coming out of high school do. You know, are they, we're going to be so hurting for small businesses and new ideas that aren't bought up by Walmart and Amazon. You know, 
are those incubator spaces outside of higher ed and in communities and are those going to be the new things? Like, will those pop back up? I'm hoping. Yeah. And you know, I think we, that, we need those small businesses to come back. And I think there will be incentives for those, right? Like for yeah. people to do that. I think there'll be more incentives to, to be innovative and creative in that kind of environment. I don't know. I'll be, I'll be curious to see what it looks like. And I, I just did a little Googling and it'll be interesting to see, you know, let's say, let's say 10% of the market gets disrupted. There's 17 million students in undergraduate programs across the country. If 10% gets disrupted, that means 1.7 million people's lives now are going to go in a different path. So now you start talking about disruption as not just colleges closing, but what is going to open? Mm-hmm. You know, what is going to open for that student that was really set on a small, private, very hands-on type of campus now that just cannot, will not, should not in many ways go to an Ohio State or a USF or, you know, one of these 50,000 student campuses. What what pops up for, for that part of the market? What pops up for the, the part of the market that, you know, their family needs them to stay where they are to help support younger siblings or, or, you know, whatever reason they have for a, a geographical footprint that now there are no colleges in that footprint. So again, what, what happens for disruption? What comes next on, on the other side of the equation, not just colleges closing, but whatever's next opening. Yeah. I'll be curious too, like what this does to community colleges. Like, do we see a spike in those two year institutions where someone's like, okay, I'm continuing my education. And then it allows me to Set me to do something else when, when the, not the mark. I, I don't want to say the market resets, but when we know where we're at, right? Like, so I'm still continuing my education at an affordable rate, and then can be like, okay, this is where I'm going. So I'll be curious what that looks like. In uh, inside higher ed today, actually, uh, the Dean Dad column basically said, forget the gap year, take a visiting year, and use that year to go spend time at your local community college. Oh, that's great, and, and really embrace that. You're going to save money in the long run. You're still going to have the name recognition of your four-year degree, and it's going to be at a fraction of the cost of, of what other people are doing. He's he's not wrong. No. Uh-huh. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays through. My, my other thought for this, so my institution is in the process of merging with a really small private institution in another state, and that college is the lifeblood of the entire city. The city is only a thousand people, right? And so there's only 160 or so students at this institution, but the city revolves around college. And when small colleges close, the impact on entire cities is devastating. The entire economy of this town is rooted in this college. And this college is closing for good or for bad, right? So it's just, it's heartbreaking as to what this is going to do for so many people. All right, and you heard that sound, so you know what that means. It's time to guess what college Jason's talking about. I was a great day, Mike. I was debating whether to go that route or the breaking news route, uh, but we went with the guess. That, that was that was good. Yeah, my only guess is Bismarck University. I figured it's got to be in a That's Dakota. Correct. <laughs> it's got to be a That's Dakota. Not correct. <laughs> oh man, 
All right. I think do we let's I want to make sure we touched upon just about oh we can end on on this one, I think. We can end on this one. This was kind of a, a longer question that I boiled down a little bit, but it was the idea of the lack of respect for um academic staff and their levels of education basically saying why does the master's degree in educate and higher ed administration not really mean anything i think what they're saying that like the idea that our, the master's degree in higher ed isn't really i think if you were to make a ranking of all the master's degrees that maybe it's not as high as it or it's not looked as highly i mean i think that's uh an interpretive thing right i don't i don't think that's actually true but i think some people do value it that or devalue it that way i think my pushback would be that's not true Um, yeah that's not true at all like nobody gives a shit about your degrees uh whether it's a master's in higher ed a master's in communication i don't think anybody cares I don't think we should put this in the podcast, but I do think that's no. the answer. <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I, I, think, I think it is a good piece of information for folks to know is that when you get out, when you get off campus, no one is going to look at your degree and then make an evaluative judgment on you as a person. They're going to look at your work effort. They're going to work. They're going to look at your work ethic. They're going to work. They're going to look at you as a as a whole person. They're not going to just say, "Okay, this person has a master's degree plus five respect." It's not like a it's not like a, a video game. They're not going to ding, you know, give you extra credit because you have a master's degree. And I think that that's in every field, though, right? Unless you are someone that's super nerdy about the thing, you don't really care. Right. I don't think anybody's like, oh, wow, very impressive of you. But if you are someone that's like super nerdy about higher ed and you're like, oh, my God, you went to Bowling Green and you went to Bowling Green in the late 90s when Bowling Green right. was the Bowling right. Green. Oh, my God, that's so cool. Tell me everything. Like then it matters. I, I think about press conferences. Right. And in today when we have uh, Dr. Fauci speaking and we know his credentials and it matters. It, it does not matter for us, right? Like, how many of us have had to go on our local news 6 a.m. morning show to talk about homecoming, me, a lot, and uh, they don't ask what my master's degree is, nor nor do they care. Um, it's This isn't rocket science, and it's not uh, life or death kind of stuff more often than not. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is. Um, but I, I, I just don't think people care enough. But even if, that's a qualifier. Even in that and the example, things that are the things that are life or death. Again, going back to the earlier discussion, the things that are life or death aren't the things you probably got out of, you know, a George Koo textbook. Shout out George Koo. <laughs> you know, they're the things that you got from working five or six years and 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 having those real world experiences foisted upon you by the cruel hands of fate. Yeah, like finding out I, I why he's... a master's degree in higher ed to triage the senior who pukes and passes out in the ID line for senior ball. That's just common sense on how to handle that. I don't need a master's degree for that. But I would even, I would even push back on the Fauci example, too, a little bit, because I think 
I think we are respecting what he's saying because of the way the information is being shared with us, too, the way that it's being communicated. Because there are plenty of other doctors, like, shout out to Dr. Oz, who's also sharing information, <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I don't care that you're a doctor. You sound batshit right now. And I really do think, like, if someone with a master's degree in higher education administration is communicating effectively and sharing a message that I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, I, they will still gain the respect and understanding from me. Um, versus someone else who has a master's degree and cannot do that. You know what I mean? So I think the real answer to this question is if, if you pull up to a table and you think that your rectangle of accomplishment is is what is going to get you respect at that table, you're not going to get any respect at that table. That's just the cold, hard reality of it that everyone at that table probably has one of those rectangles too so you having one doesn't just automatically make you a valid, valued member of the discussion. What you say, what you do, that's what's going to make you a valued member of the discussion. But it'll get you to the table, which points for that, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like you're not allowed to apply for most of the jobs unless you have one, right? So. Yeah. Which is probably a whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> and I would also say to the, to the Fauci versus Oz discussion i don't know where either of them went to college i don't know where either of them got their degrees but i know which one i want in the room if i come down with coronavirus and that's oz baby (laughs) (laughs) you want dr phil in the room with you yeah oh man i wish i could do a dr phil impression right now i can't my Dr. Next Phil's year. impression just turns into Charles Barkley. Yeah, I was just... That's, that's, that's where my Dr. Phil goes. That's, that's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> Would love you, got, to... you got a master's degree. Act like it. Would love that to... That was actually really good, Billy. It was really good. I would love to see the visual of Dr. Phil slowly morphing into Charles Barkley, though. Can that be the can that be the image for the podcast this week? The Doctor Phil, oh, the Charles Barkley, talk about animals. Talk about blowback. Can you imagine if we posted something like that with no context? I don't have to imagine it. It's what I'm going to work on tonight. That's happening. Send that bad boy to me in the morning, William F. Dunn. Doctor Phil Barkley. Oh man! All right. Well, thank you everyone for your questions. This is great. I'm sure we'll do this again because. We're lazy, and this is helpful. But as we wrap up this week, we we have to end the way we always end. So, what are we looking forward to this week, huh? Well, let's end on some highs, some positives. Crickets. <laughs> um, I will go first, contrary to the usual operations on this podcast today. Um, one of my one of my close friends from curling. Um, since curling is shut down like everything else in the world, has taken to being an online, a Zoom video game host, um, and he has create, recreated Jeopardy. So I'm going to be a contestant on his Jeopardy uh, thing tomorrow night. So that'll be fun. Wait, is that a watchable thing? I think so. I think you can be in the audience. Oh, can you? you got to share the link with us. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I know the I know the track record you guys have for sharing Zoom links, but if you could actually <laughs> share that one, would love to would love to participate. I'll take my shirt off during and have my Venmo link on the screen as well. <laughs> you will get all of the money. <laughs> Joel, the go-go pedigree. 
What is Joel the Goat? <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> uh, good. That's a good one. I like that. We'll share that with our audience too. I want every everybody's going to be tuning in. No. I'm going to host a watch party for your Zoom Jeopardy. <laughs> All right, anybody else? What's anybody else looking forward to? So we are uh, at my home institution. Uh, we are quickly in Bismarck on, College. What, <laughs> what college? Bismarck. I was the one. Bismarck. That, yes. The one that you swallowed yeah. up in the Dakotas. Correct. I didn't know people lived in the Dakotas until recently. I had never met anyone from a Dakota until maybe two months ago. It's it's wild. People live there. Uh, shout out, tag us if you live in the Dakotas. Uh, so <laughs> for me, we are uh, getting real close to what would have been senior week. And not that it's we have created a perfect senior week, but I'm really impressed with what our students have put together to recreate a senior week and what kind of things seniors are looking for and how do we celebrate. And so I'm actually excited to uh, celebrate all the stuff that they've done um, should be a, a nice feel good kind of week up ahead. Can so you, can you give us one of the, watch. can you give us one of the, the things that's happening? Yeah. So one of the cooler things that we're doing is we've been working with our alumni office to do some zoom calls and uh, AMA type programs with students who graduated in 2008 which would have been graduating in the last recession, and what are the things that they learned about their job search and the first few years in the job and how that impacted them. And so really uh, going through the archives to figure out ways to help support um, our current seniors. That's so that's cool. going to be super cool. That one sounds cool. Is there like a secret word that everybody has to drink every time it's said? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, recession. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Billy, what about you? Just being headache-free? Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. It's one of those ones that's like right above one of your eyes. Do you guys get those headaches? Yep. Yes. It's the worst kind of headache. I hate that so much. Uh, I've been playing. Maybe this is why I got the headache. I've been playing Halo. I got the uh, got the Halo running, so I'm I'm excited to get some more Xbox Live Halo. If you uh, if you want to add me on Xbox Live, Stun and Done. That's my uh, <laughs> that's my old college gamer name, Stun and Done. <laughs> Uh, number one stunner. What? 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 Uh, Stun and done. Yes. Yeah. Find me on Xbox Live or whatever. <laughs> oh my god. Is that a sentence you say? Do you say that? Find me on Xbox Live. No. You. Yeah. You can say that. You can say that. Okay. I think that's fine. It was. This, I don't know. It was the amount of times stunning was said. Stunning. Stunning. Not stunning. Not stunning. Stun in. There's no G. Okay. Stunning. Done. Yes, that's what I mean. It's the amount of times I've heard that that has been jarring. Oh it's not to God. find me out of Xbox. I don't have a damn thing. I was thinking about it the whole time you guys were talking, and I can't think of one thing. Um, but uh, spirits are high, though, so it's not a depressing thing. It's not like, oh, no, Mike needs help. I feel okay. <laughs> I just don't have anything. My hair's getting super long, and it's fun seeing what that what that's doing, so I guess that's what I'm looking forward to, to see how long it gets. God, that sounds sad. <laughs> it's pretty sad. Pretty sad. How did Kelsey start breeding it? I know. Kelsey's only here for like two of the seven days, so she doesn't even see it. The only rule I have is not to have a mustache. That's like my only... It's the only thing I have to make sure I don't do, I guess. <laughs> that's what... 
Like, my entire week is to make sure I don't end up with a mustache. That's my one responsibility. Yikes. I got to think of something more positive here. It would be a sweet, sweet mustache if you went that way. You you are the only one who thinks so. Could I'm, you grow a mustache long enough to, like, curl at the edges? Like, the, like the, oh, the wax and... I think so. I think the last time I let my beard really go, it was it was getting pretty beefy. I feel like I could pull that off a little bit, but I would be I'd be out on the streets if I pulled something like that. I really would, and I have referenced this before, but I'm not working, and the streets is too real of a situation. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man, well, there was the ice cream van. You can go get a job with them. I didn't hear that today. I didn't hear the ice cream truck. I swear to God, like my all of my anger, I don't know if it's because it's a thing that doesn't matter, but it has been directed at ice cream trucks. Like it's it's infuriating every time I see it. No, I get it. I get it. Right? Like you're part of the problem right now. We're trying to keep people away and you play this fucking music so everyone's like, Oh, ice cream and they come sprinting out. You're creating groups. We have a we have a dairy queen right around the corner. It's like a walk up dairy queen right oh. around the corner. And every time I walk there, I see the crowd at Dairy Queen. A, it's a crowd. Crowd shouldn't exist right now. And B, it's people getting cones. So it's essentially someone is touching something yeah. that you are eventually going to put in your mouth. Yeah. Here's my thing with the ice cream trucks, too. It's playing music, and the music's not geared towards adults. It's like a dog whistle yeah. for kids. So, And then the kids on their parents being like, hey, we need to go get ice cream. And the parents are with them 24-7. I don't, I don't think this is okay. I think if Cuomo – listen, Cuomo, first I need you to review my unemployment <laughs> application because I want the more money than the grad assistants are making. But second, we need to shut down ice cream trucks and promote the Froyo trucks. We're back. Shout out to Nicole. We're humans of higher ed. <laughs> That's a wrap. Right 